So here we are, the last day of class. And our last class is going to be an actual class, not really a lecture. So I'll be talking today about the final exam, just give, doing a little review of the final exam with you, and also addressing any questions you might have about the assessed grade option for this course. Um, and I know probably a lot of you have a lot of questions. So what we'll do is I'm just going to record this piece of the lecture for people listening online, uh, the exam review portion. And then after that, we'll just have an office hour here in the class. And you can come up and talk to me on an individual basis. I'll also give you a chance to ask questions in front of everyone as well. Okay. Okay. So getting on with our class that's not a class or a lecture that's not a lecture. So first thing is, as usual, as we have started to do, a couple of announcements. Uh, some exam review tips. No new material today. I think you've got enough to, to sort of review. And then the office hour in class. So some of you, I realize, have not yet handed in your assignment to, so your die essay. If you haven't done that, please do so as quickly as possible. If you can get it in by Friday, then I should be able to have it, everything marked for you by April 10. So at April 10, I know you're eager to get your assignment two marks. You will get those back on April 10. They should be on Moodle. And then when you're trying to decide what to do about this assessed grade option, I will give you a list of your marks on April 13. So I'll have your final iClicker mark posted for you, and all of your assignment marks will be posted by then. Um, I'm going to try and post your assessed grades so that you can actually see what that is and determine whether you want to stick with that or not. And the final exam then is still on the 17th. It's at uh, the Aviva Center, so the big sort of tennis center, and it will be written only if you choose not to go with the assessed grade option. So essentially what this whole assessed grade option is, which I'll just, I'll show you an example in a minute, is because of the strike this year, a lot of courses, as you know, have stopped, have been canceled or suspended. And um, the option that Senate is giving professors is to give a grade to your students based on 70% of the mark. So initially, we had a course outline which had the weighting for each component of this course adding up to 100%. So with the assessed grade, it's all going to add up to 70% with a slight readjustment of the weighting, giving the midterm just a little bit more weighting, as that will be the only test that you will have had, and the assignments a little bit more weighting, but approximately the same. So let's take a look at how an assessed grade works. So 70% of your coursework will give you your final grade in the assessed grade option. The midterm is going to be worth, initially in, a, in our original marking scheme, it was worth 18%. In your assessed grade, it'll be worth 20%. Each of the assignments will be worth 15%. And then your iClicker, your participation grade, will still be 5%. That 5%, though, constitutes if you 
answered 60% throughout the whole course, 60% of class of iClicker questions posed in class. So originally, before we knew there was going to be a strike, I had said 70% of questions have to be answered for you to get your full mark. Because of the strike, because it's hard to get here, I've lowered that to 60% of all the questions to be answered. So what does that actually um, look like? Let's do an example and see with, with some pretty typical grades here, I think. Um, so unfortunately, the midterm, I know it was a, people did not do as well as they would have liked on it. So let's say you got 48% on your midterm, 70% uh, on assignment one, 80 on assignment two, and 90 on assignment three, which assignment three is pretty simple. So the marks do tend to be high for assignment three. And let's say you had, instead of 60%, let's say you had 50% iClicker participation. So multiplying these by the percentages, you get these numbers, which add up to 48.1 out of a total of 70, which gives you a final grade of 68.7%. So that's a B plus, right? It's, no, C plus, sorry. C plus. Um, another example, let's say you had those same marks and you choose not, you choose to write the exam, you're confident with the exam, you feel you can get an A on it. So let's say all your other marks are the same, you write the final and you get 80%, you get an A on it. Then your mark will jump up one letter grade, because this is worth 35%, to 72.7%. So that would be a B, as opposed to a C+. Um, what happens if you don't do as well as you hope in the exam? Well, if you do take the exam option, we have to unfortunately stick with it. So let's say you wrote your exam, didn't have a particularly good day, you got about 50%. Then the grade, again, is still a C, it will be a C instead of a C plus, so it would be a 62.24, so 62% if you, if you don't do as well as you hoped in the exam. So that compares to our assessed grade option, which we showed at the start of the 68.7%. So they're kind of equivalent. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. 62% is a C, I believe, isn't it? Okay, so 70, 70 is, 80 is an A, 70 is a B, um, 60 and up would be a C, and below that would be a D. So 68% would be a C plus. Starting at 65, you get a C plus, and that is a passing grade. Anything above an F is a passing grade. So even if you had a D, let's say in, in the 50s, that would still be a passing grade. Yes. Okay. Does anybody have any, any more questions about this? Why is it's changed on Moodle? Oh, that's strange. Okay, I will look at that today because I didn't I didn't change it at all. I had made the deadline longer. I had made it till like April 16 on Moodle just to make sure everybody could get things in. But I'll look at that because I haven't changed any of the settings. So it should still be the same. I'll look at it. 
Um, okay, yes. The average grade, you mean for the midterm? The average for the midterm was 55%. Oh, in previous classes. Um, okay, so this is the, I can only tell you about the other section, because I actually haven't taught this course before, but um, the other section is, I don't know what the exam grade is, but I do know what the midterm was in the other section, which was 52% average. So I, I think this course tends to be around, like sometimes 65% is a normal average, but I think this course tends to be a little bit lower with the test just because there's so much material to remember. Yeah, probably mid-50s, high-50s. Uh, that's something, <coughs> sorry, that's something you can decide up to the day before. So you'll get your assessed grades, what those are on the 13th. And you can choose up to April 16th, the exam's on the 17th, whether or not to take that assessed grade or to go and write. If you choose to write, then you'll be bound to stick with the exam. So that's up to you really, but um, you can you decide by April 16. Okay. I, I hope this is like, I, I'd like to put this option out there because I think it's just been very difficult with, uh, the, with the labor dispute and I think it's, it's a fair option. It equates to about the same thing. So I'd like to be able to give you that option. Does anybody have any last questions about that? Of course, you can come later and ask me on an individual basis. Yes. Yes. No, it's still, I will still be doing an exam. Even if there's one person who wants to write the exam, I will be doing the exam. Assessed grade? Then they just get their assessed grade. Whatever the grade is that is posted for April 13 will be their final grade. Yeah, if they've, if you, so that's an important thing. It, I put a poll up on Moodle that is asking you uh, whether you wish to take the assessed grade or write the exam. Please do answer that poll. Uh, if you, what I will do is just give the assessed grades if you do not answer. But if you do answer or if you just by default write the exam, you will get the original grade option. So please, please answer what it is, indicate what you'd like. Um, and again, if you show up to the exam and you write the exam, you still will get the original grading scheme. Yeah, it won't. Okay, so the eye clicker mark is, has turned out to be a little bit of a, of a pain with Moodle because it doesn't seem to update as well as I would like it to. So what you would need to send me, because we don't have any iClicker questions this class, so last class was the last time. So if you're seeing some sort of mismatch in your iClicker grade, just email me with a screenshot of your overall iClicker grade. On the back end, on my side, I have the grades. 
and I will be syncing them. So you may see your iClicker grade changing, but you'll get your final iClicker grade on the 13th. And at that point, if you see it and it, there's a discrepancy or you know you should have had a different number in there, please email me with a screenshot. Am I including those? Um, I am including those. Initially, I had said it will be 60. I lowered it from 70% to 60%. But for the people who did have a chance to show up, I don't want to take away the option of them being able to count that into their marks. So I am including it. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean, if you have a sort of a 60%, it doesn't mean that you'll be penalized for not coming. Basically, I'll be looking at if you had 60% up to the date of the strike, you'll get your full marks. Yeah. Calculation? Sure. If you had these marks, what would I suggest you do? Um, I would say that depends on your confidence of, if you calculate your grade, let's say you had this mark, and you get, it's a high, it's a C plus, right? Let's say you really, 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 really wanted a B, or something higher. Um, I would base, I, I can't tell you what to do, but I would base the decision on calculating the minimum mark you have to get for the exam to raise your grade one letter level. If you think you can achieve, say, it, w it wouldn't be 80%, it would be something like high 70s that you would need to raise it. If you think you can achieve the high 70s, sure, go for it. If you really want the, the B, if, if you're confident with the exam and you think it can really boost the grade, I, you know, go ahead and write it, but if you're okay with the grade and it doesn't make a huge difference, if the letter is a little bit different, then you can stay. Okay. But you will have, I know you, you need obviously your grades to make an informed decision, so you will have those by April 13th. Okay. Any more questions on, the, on this topic? Yes. Right, okay, so in the assessed grade, if you take the assessed grade option, this is the weighting scheme. So your, your number is basically out of a number of 70, of 70 marks will be your percentage number. So this is out of 70 as opposed to 100, whereas this is out of 100, and it allows the exam to be worth 35%. So you'd be raising your grade by having an additional item that your marks are based on worth a large chunk of those marks, worth 35%. But again, do remember this is an exam. Uh, the exam is three hours. It'll be the same format as previously. It'll be like 60 multiple choice questions. I'm going to give you the three hours for that. It'll be all multiple choice. 
largely concentrating on lectures 11 to 20. Okay. The choices, you mean? So there is, um, okay, so there is a, a form, but I can't find the form. I've been looking for this assessed grade form, and I know what the other section is doing is just the prophet is just saying, email her, and she will do that. So I will keep you updated on that, but as far as I'm concerned, you just need to fill out the choice. If you've already filled out a form, then that's no problem at all. I, I cannot find this elusive form. Uh, it's supposed to be around, it was supposed to be released, but perhaps because in my passport, York, because I'm not a student, it won't give me the form. But um, no, I believe if, if we have an agreement with the poll, then I can give you your assessed grade. Okay. Okay. We can come back to this later, but let's just, uh, let's do a quick exam review and then I'll be happy to talk to you individually and, and address your questions. So again, the exam is same as the midterm. It's a multiple, completely multiple choice test. And I really like this website for giving you tips and strategies on how to handle uh, multiple choice questions. Because they're, they're kind of different. They're a little bit different than uh, short answer, and they take a different mindset slightly to get into. So take a look at this link. Uh, in terms of the exam material, as I've said, it's all multiple choice. It'll be 60 questions. You have three hours. If you take this exam option, the exam will be worth 35% of your final grade, so it can therefore increase your grade a lot, or unfortunately decrease your grade quite a bit. Um, it is a cumulative exam. So we will be doing lectures pretty much concentrating for all that material for most of those questions on lectures 11 to 20. But there, there may be some questions appearing from earlier lectures, like 1 to 10, in terms of some concepts that have carried on throughout the course, like let's say photons, light, color, all the definition type terms. So you can expect to see some earlier material on there. Um, today I'm going to give you just a broad list of topics. So for the midterm I gave you this broad list of topics. But what I do suggest, and everybody is different, everybody learns differently, everybody studies differently, but Something that I personally find helpful is going through the notes and making your own list of topics and then going into detail and further refining that and scheduling out your time so that you cover so much a day and basically, you know, schedule it out so that you've, you've studied for a number of days, not just one night, and decompose the material into manageable chunks, basically. Okay. And the way that I would go about making your own study list. I will give you one in a moment, but I would just go through all the titles of the slides and basically list them out. Or you could even just search them on, um, on the PDF player. 
So I would just put the slides in terms of each lecture in terms of the similar concepts. So for instance, we talked a lot about the physics of light. You could have one broad area be the physics of light, including the behaviors of light that give rise to color. Um, and then some of the other more specific stuff that we talked about in terms of chemistry, the basics of dyes and all of that could be lumped into one other section. So could paints, so could um, we talked a little bit about different types of paints, etc. But let's get to what a list would look like. And that is a massive list, but this is what I gave you before for the midterm. Okay. So this is midterm stuff. Uh, I would not spend your time going over in detail all of this stuff, but certain things in there where we've got repeated themes like photons and energy levels, etc., how light is produced, how color is produced in light, those things you can take a look at and quickly review. Okay, so let's see. Let's see our, our core topics for our exam. Okay, it's going to be long. So this is what we basically did in lectures 11 to 20. Uh, when you stick it all together, it is quite a lot of material. So I think everybody's doing really, really well um, keeping up with this. Uh, it is the double speed course, so it is going to be a lot in a short period of time. Um, and this is actually one of the more difficult maths courses because it, it does overview so many different areas of science at once. Uh, okay, so let's take a look. We started, uh, we left off with the midterm, basically at pH, pH and color. And then we did different kinds of mediums. So we did dyes, we did paints. Uh, we talked a lot about, again, these three main components. So for each topic, think definitions, components, behaviors, practical examples. So we talked about different materials that show color, paints, dyes, glass. We did a long uh, unit on glass with the artist Dale Chihuly and talking about how color gets added to glass as impurities in the glass before in the glass blowing process. And after we, we, went, we did glass, we went back to discuss luminescence, or how something glows. Uh, we ended off that glass and paint unit with glow-in-the-dark paints. And one important thing in the course is to distinguish between luminescence and fluorescence. So remember, fluorescence is more of a conversion process. It when, it's when incoming UV light is absorbed and then re-emitted in the visible in a way that we can see that. Whereas luminescence is the actual production of light. It's not absorbing and re-emitting. It's not getting charged by some external light source. It's a chemical reaction inside whatever is doing the luminescing. A lot of the case is uh, bioluminescence in marine um, animals. So it's a reaction within the organism itself that is actually producing light and is producing this light 
in a very different way than an incandescent source, like a light bulb would produce it. Does anybody remember the difference between production with the incandescent versus with a luminescent source? Exactly, yeah. So the incandescent produces the full spectrum of colors, but it does this also with a huge production of heat. Your light bulbs are hot when you touch them, and they're white because they're glowing. Um, the tungsten filament is glowing. In a bioluminescent organism, often the colors that are being produced are only of one specific hue. So for instance, blue or green. And that's because of a certain photon transition, certain absorption or um, emission of photons at a certain energy level. And that's done in a cold way. So bioluminescent fish aren't hot to the touch. They're not like light bulbs and they don't light up. It's a good way to remember the difference between the incandescence and the luminescence. Think of marine animals. They're not hot, but they do light up. Light bulbs, very hot, they light up too. So that's one way to think of it. So after we talked a little bit about bio, uh, bioluminescence, so a lot of marine animals, we also talked about biofluorescence, which is slightly different. So we've just discussed luminescence versus fluorescence. So it's the same kind of thing. Underwater, you have to remember that Different wavelengths will penetrate a certain medium in different ways. Longer wavelengths have a harder time traveling through water. Basically, the reds, the yellows, they get absorbed more quickly by the water. It's a denser medium. Colors like blue and purple and indigo, the very short wavelengths, travel through the water more efficiently. So at really, really deep, um, altitudes or depths in the ocean, the blue and purple light and the light in the UV range of the spectrum can penetrate down to greater depths. So those animals that biofluoresce, for instance jellyfish, at very, very low depths in the ocean are basically absorbing the UV light from the sun, which still penetrates down to this level, and re-emitting it in the visible, often as a green light. But that's the difference. All right, so color, we talked about animals that glowed, then we talked about animals that didn't glow. And, and with the jellyfish example, you'll recall that people decided it was a good idea to extract uh, green fluorescent protein, GFP, from jellyfish and inject it into other organisms, for instance, rabbits and bunnies, and so they had these glowing green biofluorescent bunnies. But anything like that, you have to remember, what is the driving force? Why are we doing it? Are we doing it just because it's a fun experiment? Well, no. It, it's done for medicine. It's done to trace pathogens or to trace different um, elements through an animal's system. The glowing allows us to see more clearly how different things are moving through that system. All right. So then we just talked about um, these, the color schemes of a lot of different types of birds. Um, 
some insects, not really many insects. We did, we've talked about the blue morpho butterfly several times. Um, and we talked about cats, we talked about zebras, different kinds of color in animals, and moved on after this to talk about different kinds of colors in plants and flowers specifically, which is where we got in a little bit to genetics and how in a biological organism genetics can play a role in how the color is distributed. So with flowers, we talked about beautiful sort of complex flowers having stripes or spots at certain points in the petal. And we understood that this was to do with a certain gene in that area of the petal being activated, being turned on or off. And at that point, that's when we got into Mendelian genetics. It's Gregor Mendel, who basically is the father of genetics was a monk and um, was doing a lot of experiments. He was an avid gardener and did a lot of experiments with pea plants and then understood and came out with sort of an encoding of how two different parent species will combine to distinguish and distribute certain genetic traits to their offspring. So this was the Punnett squares here. So remember a Punnett square is just a square which has on one axis the mother's genotype and on the other axis the father's genotype and you can compare those alleles, those are called alleles, the small letter or the big letter of the genetic characteristic. So this is something I'm not going to ask you very specific um, alleles to ask you there is such and such a trait in this particular species. What is the allele? No, we didn't do that. We're not going to do that. But I will just ask you general understanding questions. And one of those questions might have to do with the difference between genotype versus phenotype. So off the top of your head, does anybody remember what the difference of those two things are? Right, okay. So, so basically, with, the, with the, this allele, remember our allele is, is our letters that describe the trait. So if you have, you said there's an X and a Y chromosome, that's a slightly different thing. That's the, the sex chromosome characteristics of a male versus a female. So a female is this, and a male is this. Those are the genotypes. So think about, for a second, the example that I had used earlier was eyes and blue eyes. Blue eyes versus brown eyes. So the allele, or the letter that talks about eye color, is B. So a small b is a recessive gene characteristic. That's like a blue eyes. And a big B would be a brown or dark eyes. This combination of the allele from, let's say, the mother and the allele from the father, so one copy of the allele from each parent, this is your genotype. So genotypes could be big B, little b, big B, that's recessive. The capital letter is 
a dominant gene. So you could have all these genotypes. Or this. These are all genotypes. The two recessive genes are the only version of this where you get blue eyes. So a recessive trait, both alleles have to be the same for that trait to come out. So what's the difference? If this is a genotype, what's the phenotype? Exactly. Yeah, it's so the offspring, the phenotype is the characteristic denoted by the genotype. So if this is the genotype, let's say their genotype was BB, little b, little b. So that's two blue-eyed parents. The phenotype, therefore, would be the manifested characteristic in the child. So the phenotype would be blue eyes. So pheno is like phenomenon. The phenotype would be blue eyes. So that's an important distinction because it's easy to get confused about that. There's also one more thing that's easy to, to confuse and that's called the karyotype. So if you remember DNA and what carries DNA, chromosomes basically carry DNA and chromosomes are basically organelles that have DNA strands wound up very tightly within them. The chromosomes physically kind of look like strange things like this. And a karyotype is just a picture of the 23 sets of chromosomes that every human has. With one of those being the sex chromosome, which determines the gender of the, of the human. That's all a karyotype is, a big picture, and a genetic index of all the chromosomes of a human being. Okay, what else? So we've got those. And then for the last couple of lectures, we went backward a little bit to round everything up and go back to the big picture, talking about light as a wave. Uh, and important to remember that when we're talking about light, and I think everybody has heard this so many times by now, but light can be both a particle and a wave, act as a particle or a wave. Um, in terms of the larger or the macroscopic world, when we're thinking about big phenomena out in the world, it's often most helpful to think of light as a wave. And, the, and we talk about a number of phenomena that result from that. Specifically, we talked about dispersion, refraction, reflection, diffuse reflection, scattering, all of the uh, interference as well and iridescence we did last time. And all of these phenomena together give us things that are naturally occurring phenomena that we see in our everyday lives. For instance, why the sky is blue, sunsets red, why there are rainbows. And finally, this is something different, the aurora borealis. This is born of 
an interaction of charged particles from the sun with Earth's magnetic field. So that's quite different. But I did want to do the aurora borealis in here, since we were already talking about natural phenomena, because it's such a beautiful and interesting um, phenomena that actually occur in all many other planets in our solar system. So you can actually see in a number of the pictures, there's uh, Saturn has beautiful aurora. It's kind of like this bluey aurora that is on both of the poles. Jupiter has it as well. If you take a look, just look at planetary aurora, you'll see some incredible pictures of uh, aurora on other planets. Okay. So finally, we ended our content last week with a dis brief discussion of interference. An interference is basically when the two waves collide and interact with one another, which can be done in one of two ways. It can be done constructively. So the amplitudes, the energies in the wave basically add together to make a more energetic, ultimate, superposed wave, or destructively. The waves come into contact, they're opposite essentially, and they cancel each other out. So that's constructive and destructive interference, which is responsible for a multitude of natural phenomena, including this microphone and why, you know, you'd step into a room and it's kind of you have certain areas of the room where the sound waves are interfering destructively versus constructively, and you'll hear that loud whine in the microphone. You've just struck, stuck, stepped into sort of like a boundary between destructive and constructive interference when that's the case. Um, and then finally, we ended off talking about Young's double slit experiment, how you can actually visualize these things. So when you're studying, what might be useful is to look at those concepts that you have listed and instead of trying to write down stuff and memorize definition, try and see if you can draw a diagram, a schematic diagram for each one. So with interference, for example, and you see Dung's double slit experiment, if you had two sources, you know that there's sources generating waves. And these kinds of areas between will be constructive versus and destructive interference. So if you can just do some summary diagrams for yourself, that might help you quickly remember what each concept is. Okay. Um, the last thing we talked about was iridescence, which is just a slight, it's a subset of interference. It's a form of interference, but it's a form of interference between light when it's going through different types of media. So iridescence happens because the medium th through which the light wave is traveling and is interfering with other light waves changes. All right, and then the radio astronomy bit, that was more for just your interest to, to tell you how um, multiple telescopes across the globe, when they're linked together, detect radio waves from a celestial source, and the interference pattern from that celestial source gives us a picture 
of what the source actually is and tells us about its energy, its speed, etc. Okay, so there are the uh, topics. I would really concentrate on these. Um, and again, test yourself, test yourself with definitions, test yourself with how-to questions, um, descriptions, examples, but sketches. I think this is a really good way to go because that encapsulates all the information. And if you sit down to sketch and ask yourself, okay, where is the constructive interference? Where is the destructive? You'll understand if you know the material or not by just doing the sketches. Obviously, review your assignments. Review the lectures. Review the clicker questions in the lectures. There's a good chance that some of those questions, in some form, may appear on the exam. And what else? Yeah, making note of definitions. We discussed these already. Some of these definitions come from earlier on in the course, but you do need to know them to know further material in the course. So a lot of the definitions that deal with properties of things, like properties of paint, properties of color, properties of light, um, in terms of lectures 1 to 10, if you're going to study anything, study those property definitions from them. So those are the properties. Um, that's about it there. And then, whoops, hey, okay, that's interesting. Rembrandt got there. I was just trying to write his name, but that wasn't intentional. Um, so in terms of key players, uh, make some notes on key players. In the second half of the course, there were definitely not as many as in the first half when we talked about the eye and a number of different things. But we did talk about a few, mainly artists, actually. Um, William Henry Perkin was the chemist who discovered movine. Fritz Haber was the Haber process, nitrogen and ammonia. We didn't talk about him too much. Uh, Rembrandt had a certain style of painting that captured the light and the depth of things, so basically underpainting with white. Dale Tehuli was a glass artist, and Thomas Young. Thomas Young was a physicist who not only talked about three types of detector in the eye, but Thomas Young was the person who categorically showed through his double slit experiment that light acts as a wave. So he's very, a very important player in understanding color and understanding a number of natural phenomena in how the world works. Okay. And that's about it, I guess. So unless, are there any questions to discuss with the whole class about specific uh, subject matter, content, or, or any questions in general? Because if not, then I'll just, I will set up here and you can come and speak with me individually. Um, okay, any, any last questions? Clarification on anything? Yes. Vote. That's right. Yes. So, of how that will go? Um, Okay, so this is just an opinion and it can be absolutely completely wrong. What's happening now, for those of you who aren't aware of it, is 
York has requested from the Ontario government a supervised vote because what had happened in the first vote which voted everybody to go on strike was it was a QP vote and in, I, I believe in reality a small number of people actually turned out for the vote. So people were concerned that this was a small percentage of people showing up for a vote trying to represent everyone. I think it was something like 30-something percent that showed up for the original vote. So now a supervised vote is being mandated. It'll be an online vote. And if you're a member of QP, you can go online and vote whether or not to accept the final offer from the administration. Um, what I think is likely going to happen, and again, this is just my opinion, uh, I don't, it, it would be probably, probably narrowly that people want to come back to work, I think, and accept the offer. That's just my, my read of it, which could be completely wrong. So I think both sides are very tired and neither are happy, but I, I don't see much of a way forward unless you go into binding arbitra into arbitration, which means that you wouldn't be getting what you want anyway. The semester is already being uh, pushed into May. Um, some courses, the exam period is going ahead as scheduled for courses that continued. The courses that were suspended, I believe, have a new um, exam period date, but the semester will be pushed into May a little bit, and then the summer term will start a little bit later. But that's why they're also offering this assessed grade option. So if you have to, say, get an application into grad school, you can get your grade really quickly. Just take whatever is 70% and submit your grades to your applications, etc. Right. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. So apparently, the, if you take a look at the York Frequently Asked Questions, on the web. It is a little bit um, hard to understand. It's also, it's full of, rife with sort of full of legal language and it's a, it's a long, usually long documents that the Senate releases. So I think it's difficult for everybody to sort of put it all together and really understand what's going on. Even around this assessed grade thing, uh, we don't know much better than, than you guys do. So, um, that's sort of why I'm, I'm, I've had many requests for the assessed grade option, and I think that's fair. So you, you can choose this option if you wish. Okay, uh, yes. Assignment two, you should have the marks by April 10th. And you're welcome to come make an appointment with me if you want to review assignments, review anything. Uh, except I am away at a conference in Europe next week, but I will be returning on the 13th. So not next week, but the week after, I will be here. Um, well, what I'm going to do is release your assessed grade on the 13th, so you'd see what it is. And then if you opt for the assessed grade, after that 11.59 p.m. on April 16th, that will be your grade. Um, I will, probably in reality what will happen is after I see who wrote the exam, then I will just submit all the grades, the assessed grades. 
So you'll get it on your transcript, the normal, the same normal period as the, as a non-strike semester. That's right. You just do, yeah, so assignments, it would be assignments one, two, three, the midterm, which everybody has already done pretty much, and um, the participation. Well, I'm going to miss everybody, but thank you for always coming out to the braving the, the picket lines. And um, yeah, thank you. Okay, so I will be sitting. <laughs> thank you.